The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. What defines you? I mean, how do you identify who you are? Maybe when you fill out a census form or an application, you have to check all kinds of little boxes. I'm male or female. I'm, maybe you indicate your ethnicity, your age, your income, your address. And so how do you identify who you are? And how does who you are affect how you live? In one of the top songs, we just heard it sung, Sam Smith wrote and sang, I still need love because I'm just a man. Oh, won't you stay with me? And some of you obviously can sing way better, so I'm not even gonna attempt it, right? But, cause you're all I need. This ain't love, it's clear to see, but darling, stay with me. When we look at how we identify ourselves, we have to throw our identity into the mix of what's going on in our culture, which has corrupted and blurred the lines of what it means to be you. Culture that has blurred the lines of what it means to be male or female, a man or woman. Trading what is part of your biology and your God-given design for maybe your impulse or your urges or your choices. And as a result, we live in a culture that shames you for being who you were designed to be from conception. This one's tough. As a result, we have a culture where men, at least males, grow up in fatherless homes who don't understand what it means to have an identity as a male who don't have a proper understanding of masculinity, so they vacillate between two extremes. On one side, they grow up to be macho jerks who oppress or objectify women, or on the other side, become wimps who abdicate their responsibility to women, becoming perpetual teenagers, fully dependent on women to take care of them, even into late adulthood. And then women struggle with a similar tension of extremes because we live in a culture where women are told that they are nothing more than their body image. Their greatest value is what they see in the mirror. And so they wrestle with turning themselves into, a, into developing their sexual identity more than any other aspect of who they are or they give into the pressure of focusing on becoming competitive and success-driven, shrugging off their natural urges to prove that they are not just smart, but smarter than the men around them. And by the way, on that one, every man yields. We're like, hey, there's not even an argument there. We know you're smarter than we are. But the challenge is this extreme of taking on roles and demanding that they take responsibility for things that men should be doing. And when women take on the burden and the weights of responsibility that they were not biologically designed to carry, then we have a generation of women wrestling with profound insecurity 
and both males and females who have abandoned and lost their identity as designed by God. So, in a culture confused by gender politics and gender identity, where we have created a politically correct environment where it doesn't even feel appropriate or safe, and maybe some of you are even uncomfortable right now as I talk about calling out the wrestling we have in our culture about what it means to be a man or a woman. What does God say about being male and female, about being a man and a woman? And I, I thought the best way to examine what God has to say is go to the Bible, the sacred writing we have of what God says about our life. And in it, we discover if you go back, so we're going back to the ancient text, there's a book in the Old Testament of the Bible called Song of Songs. And this song, a love song, is the greatest love song ever written. If you write or if you wrote a love song and it ends up in the Bible, you get the number one uh, mark of all time, right? So this is the greatest love song, here it is. And in it, here's why it's included. Because it's not just a love song, that would be informative but it's a love song inspired by God, which means it's transformative. It's not just a story about two people who fall in love. It's a story inspired by God himself of King Solomon, who noticed a young peasant woman, and it tells the story of them falling in love, of their marriage, of their intimate relationship, and their first fight, and their first makeup. It's a great love song. But in it, it also um, provides us principles of how we can live. And, and much of this love song tells the story of what she noticed in him and what he loved about her. And so we're just going to jump right in. We're going to look at Songs chapter 2. It, this is her the bride sharing why she fell in love with him. Is it because, was it because he was the king and he had power and position? He had wealth and prestige? Well, let's read. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among young, the young men. Immediately, she goes like this. In the middle of all the trees, there was an apple tree. You know, very quickly, you start to realize there's some metaphor going on here. She's drawing out what she appreciates about him. And then she continues, I delight to sit in his shade, for his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. What does she notice about him? And what catches his eye? In verse 2, he sings, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. There's something among all of the women who he sees as a thorn that makes her stand out as a lily. Maybe there's a principle here of how you as a woman might discover what it means to not be a thorn, but be a lily. He continues in his song, how beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Trust me, he's not just talking about her lips. He's saying what comes out of your mouth is lovely. You notice he's, he's drawing out attributes that go deeper than just what's visible to the eye. 
all beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And again, he's not talking about a culturally photoshopped image of women. He's talking about in their relationship, the more he's gotten to know her, the more he's discovered that every aspect of who she is is flawless. We're going to continue. Verse 10, how delightful you are, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. And as I'm reading that, I mean, I, I raised a crooked, a crooked eyebrow. Wait, that's weird. My sister, my bride. Okay, pause, time out. We got to go way back into ancient times where men and women were not allowed to touch in public, right? Like if you're dating someone, you couldn't hold their hand and walk down the street, no signs of public affection. You couldn't, you know, stand in the corner and make out. Somebody would come up and, and beat you. Like you're not allowed to do that. And so he said, but the only people that a, pers- a man could show affection to would be his sister. So he says, I have such deep love for you. Our love is so sweet that I wish that others could see what we enjoy. And I wish we could show that to everyone in public. Their dating relationship, the intimacy they enjoyed, the love that they shared, what he saw in her, he wished he could treat her like his sister in public. You with me so far? All right, so I needed to rescue that one because I knew that some of you would just kind of check out on me. How much more pleasing is your love than wine? You are a garden locked up. You notice? There's some good metaphor going on here. He's trying to call out some attributes that he values that makes her a lily among thorns. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. What is it? What is it that we can learn from what we just read? An ancient love song that is not just informative, but transformative. If you apply these principles to your life, we could not only change our own identity and get things right in our lives, we might be able to transform our community, maybe our city, maybe even our country. So I'm going to give you a principle. I encourage you to take notes. If you're watching with us online, you can type this into right, right, type this right online. And maybe you're on social media. By the way, we're not offended if you're on social media, as long as you're Facebook living this or you're making comments about what you're hearing. So this is what I want you to write down. To the guys, man up. To the women, woman up. Been waiting to say that. Man up. Woman up. Let me make that practical for you. Your God-given identity defines your role and your responsibility. God designed you to be exactly who you are and who you are in your God-given identity defines your role and your responsibility. So why is it that we live in a world that is so messed up? Why do we see so much confusion around gender and the roles of man and woman? Why is it that we, when you turn on the news, you see such confusion? Here is why. Because the world we live in is broken. Because everything you see on the news, it's because people are broken. But whoa, 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 let's make this really personal. It's not just that they are broken. I'm broken. You're broken. We are broken because it is impossible to find your identity in your gender. 
in your sexuality, in the role you have in your family. It is impossible to find your identity in your income, in your position, your career, in your vocation or your education, in the car you drive, in the house you live in, in the bank accounts you're filling. It is impossible to discover a whole identity through any aspect of our life. Why? Because you and I are fundamentally broken. Because at the core of who we are, there is a driving instinct in every one of us called sin. Sin is our instinct to push away from God's design and relationship with God to pursue our own urges, our own interests, and our own impulses. And sin has fractured our every urge and impulse, making us believe that what we think is good, which is actually bad for us, is what is in our best interest. Did you catch that? Sin has tricked us. The very things that will destroy us because of sin, we now believe are good for us. And so sin drives us away from God toward pursuing our interests, and it leaves us broken. It leaves our minds broken. It leaves our emotions and our urges and our desires broken. It leaves relationships broken because as we push further and further away from God and God's best for our life, we become more and more fractured in a life consumed with sin. No matter what you put in place to fill your identity, you will only experience more and more brokenness. And, and actually, we heard it. This, this song, the author, Sam Smith, he won four Grammys just this past year. And this song was one of the top songs that received an award, for one of the top uh, songs in, our, in, our, in the, you know, the nation. Listen to the lyrics. Why am I so emotional? No, it's not a good look. Gain some self-control, and deep down I know this never works, but you can lay with me so it doesn't hurt. This ain't love, it's clear to see, but darling, stay with me. And I know, you could sing it, right? And, the, and it sounds great and makes you feel good, but think about what we're saying. Deep down inside, this never works, so let's just use some one-night stand to make us at least feel better. So darling, just stay with me even though this isn't what love is really meant to look like. No matter what you try to put in place to fill and complete your identity, it will never satisfy. That's why, and I wanna be very careful here, but that's why research talks about people who, are, uh, who have taken hormonal therapy to transition their gender, meaning they, they recognize that they, they feel like they're trapped in the wrong gender body, and so they go through surgery or hormonal treatment, uh, and, and that's what I said, I'm, being, I'm not judging, I'm just calling out the reality that they are, 41% um, of people who've gone through transitional therapy try to take their own life. Not are 41% more likely, 41% of people who've tried to transition have tried to take their life. Why? At least partially why? It's because you can change the body, but that doesn't necessarily heal the soul. It doesn't necessarily fix what's most broken. And every one of us are broken. We can all relate to that. 
And that's why we're, we're going back to the Song of Songs and we're saying, what can we learn about who God says we are? And so I want to, I want to bring your focus because there's another, there's another letter written. It was written by a guy named Paul who started churches all across Asia and Europe. And after he would start a church, he would leave and move on to start other churches, but then he would write letters back to them. And we have access to some of those letters. One letter he wrote to the church in Ephesus, a city very similar maybe to our nation, a city that was sex crazed. The entire industry of their city was based on sex and perversion and prostitution, where women would use their sexuality to gain power and prominence and men would exploit women and use them to fulfill their own urges. And to that city where Paul started a church, he wrote a letter and in that letter, he writes this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, I get it. Some of you are just, you just cringe and you're like, you're going to check out on me. Can you stay with me, all right? I'm going to, hopefully I'm going to make this really practical and really relevant. Here's what I want you to notice. The moment Paul starts talking about the role of men and women in relationship, he first identifies them with Christ. Here's, here's what I'm going to make sure you don't miss. It is impossible for you to complete your identity on your own. You and I find our wholeness, our completeness, our identity in relationship to Jesus. Why? Because when, because when we look at who we are, we understand we are broken. God loved us. That's actually why the Song of Songs is even in the Bible. A love song about a couple falling in love, their marriage, their relational intimacy, because it points us to God. It's as if God is saying, the best love song you could ever write, the best love story you could ever hear is just a glimpse into the way God passionately loves you. Not in a weird sexual way, don't let your mind run the wrong direction. In a unconditionally passionate, loving way, God pursues you. How? Jesus Christ came to earth to die on a cross for our sins. He took the brokenness of sin in our lives. He took the shame and guilt that we carry from living a life driven by sin. He took our eternal judgment on himself so that when he died, he died once for all so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sins, their shame and guilt removed, and we are given new life. God's spirit enters into our spirit. And when God's spirit is alive in us, we are radically changed. Because now we are not driven by impulse and urge. We're not driven and controlled by sin. Now we have God's spirit that defines us. And here, this is critical. Please, of anything you hear, don't miss this. When you believe in Jesus by faith, your identity is found in Christ. You are new in Jesus. You are not what you've been. You are not your failures. You are not your sins. You are not your urges. You are not your impulses. You are not what people have told you you are. You are new in Jesus. You are born new into faith in Jesus Christ. Now Jesus defines your life. So we have to be willing to leave the old definition of who we are behind and step into a new identity of what it means to be in Jesus Christ by faith. Now, when you have God's spirit in your spirit, then you can return to the creation order 
of the way God designed us to live. On your own, if you try to go back and get things right, you would just be trying to fix on your own an impossible brokenness. But when you have faith in Jesus Christ and God's spirit is living in you, now you and I can begin to live the right way God designed us to live. We return to God's design for who we are as men and women. I truly believe that this may be one of the most powerful truths in our life, in our culture. I mean, if you could get this one right, it may change your family, it may change your neighborhood, it may change your workplace. So let me talk with you. Share with you, men, how to be men, women, how to be women. Let's look at the biblical model. So I'm going to go back to this passage in Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going, to, I'm going to first talk to you men. At least we'll call you males for the moment. Here we go. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved his church. And then the woman is singing about her lover. And he, she says this, his banner over me is love. And I told you to man up. And what do I mean by man up? This. Learn to love. That's what I want you to write down. That's what I want you to take notes on. More than anything, that's what I think we need to apply to our lives today. What does it mean to learn to love? It is not instinctive for us to naturally love others the way Jesus loved us. We are naturally selfish. We are naturally impulse-driven to look out for our interests rather than the interests of others. If you want to understand as men what it means to be a man, to love, the, another word you could put right next to it is we love by showing, by creating security for others around us. Meaning this, if you truly become a loving man, anyone around you should feel safer. Did you catch that? Your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your coworkers, your colleagues. A nation feels safer when godly men learn to be men. So how do you create an atmosphere of safety around you? That's what it means to learn to love. So first, to you young males, boys, and those who are responsible to train boys, grow up to be gentlemen. Learn to love, not based on what you see in the media and music and movies, what you're getting from all kinds of other sources, including in the locker room. You're going to learn to love by what God says is love, which is Jesus gave himself sacrificially for us. Boys, you learn what it means to be a man by discovering what it means to give yourself sacrificially for those around you. Adult males... You don't just become a man because you grow up in age. You become a man when you learn to love. And we are called first and foremost to love by leading spiritually. What does it mean to lead spiritually? It means that you love God above all else. You love God above your job, above your position, above your paycheck. You love God above your family. You're going to lead by example. No one should have to drag you to church. No one should have to tell you to pray. No one should have to encourage you to read the Bible on your own because you're a man. Because you're a warrior in faith and you know how to lead by example. You're going to get out in front and you're going to lead spiritually. Now let's transfer that into your home. That means you're going to lead your family spiritually. That means in your workplace, you're not going to be a coward. 
You're not going to let anyone threaten you to back down in your faith. You're going to be bold. We're going to have men who step up in the workplace and show what it looks like to be a godly man who knows how to be bold in his faith, compassionate, caring, gentle, but spiritually bold. And as a generation of men, if we started leading spiritually, we could lead a nation back to Jesus. As we man up by learning to love and creating an atmosphere of safety and security, the next thing we notice is that we must be faithful. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, the author, actually the same guy who wrote Song of Songs, he wrote this proverb. Many a man claims unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. What an indictment. Here's what he's saying. There's a lot of guys that are charming. There's a lot of guys that will buy Valentine's cards at the store and give you chocolates and roses. But where's the man that actually will be faithful to his word? You want to to be a loving man? You want to man up in this generation? Let your word be your bond. When you say you're going to do something, do it every time. When you make a commitment, mean it, and more than mean it, actually follow through consistently. Be a faithful man. Be heroic and courageous by keeping your commitments. When you make a promise, you honor that promise. That's what it means to be a loving, godly man. It means that you will keep your word even if it costs you your life because other lives depend on it. Let our words be our bond because we are faithful men. And keep going. Not only are we learning to love by being faithful, but learning to love by providing. Now, immediately when I say that, I know it. You're like, yeah, okay, I get it. That's when I understand. I got to make more money. I got to get a better job. I got to get a promotion. No, no, no. It's not what it means to biblically provide. Think about it the way you would provide for yourself. You would do whatever it takes to provide for your own needs, to get a meal, to make sure you're clothed, to make sure you have warmth. Providing means you're gonna do whatever it takes to meet your needs, right? That's called selfishness. Selfless love means that you put your needs after the needs of those that God has called you to care for. When you provide by creating an atmosphere of security in love, it means that you are aware of the needs of others. You're aware of the needs of your spouse, of your children, of the family members that God has put you in responsibility over, and you are willing to sacrifice and serve them by putting their needs above your own needs. Godly men are selfless men who who are heroic, not because they make more money, but because they've learned to be content. They're heroic, not because they work longer hours, but they've just learned to work hard and diligently. Not heroic because you have more, but you're heroic because you've reprioritized your family's focus financially on living on less so you can give more. That doesn't mean you're the only provider in your home, but it does mean that you carry the weight of financial decision-making, not to dominate, but to lead your family in the right godly priorities. That means you give your spouse the freedom to live biblically so that your wife can honor her God-given roles. That means you have to have 
conversations. When you have children, does she want to stay home? Do you want her to stay home? Does, do you want her to go to work? But not because you want more, but because this is the right decision led by God. You follow me? To lead financially means you're guiding the priorities of the home, which means your wife shouldn't have to convince you to tithe and give to the church. Your wife shouldn't have to convince you of making right financial decisions. You should be leading out in front because you're going to be heroic by prioritizing what God said is most important in your life. Not only are we called to lead by providing, but we are Finally, called to lead in love by protecting. And maybe this is the one where you're like, oh, good, I get this one. This is where I get to be macho and I get to, you know, pull out my sword and slay the dragon and rescue the beauty. This is where some of you are like, I get a man up by pulling out my guns. I don't, not, not these, no, I'm, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, that's not what it means to create a, secure, a sense of security in the people around you by protecting them. Protecting someone means that you leverage your strength to cover their weaknesses. This is the way of Jesus. Jesus took his strength, stepped in between us and our judgment, took the judgment on himself so that he died in our place. He suffered in our place. He embraced our eternal judgment so that we could be set free to live free, so that we could be forgiven and loved by God. Men, you man up when you create a security around people that you love and are responsible for when you protect them by leveraging your strength to cover their vulnerabilities and their weaknesses. You are a guard around the people that God has put under your responsibility. They should feel safe around you because you protect them from uh, being disrespected. You protect them from abuse. You protect them from, their, from being taken advantage of in their vulnerabilities and their weaknesses. You protect your home from outside influences that would hurt and deteriorate their sense of security. That's what it means to protect. Now, to women. Now, look, here's, here's a disclaimer. I felt like I could talk a lot to the guys because I feel like we're on the same page here. So to the women, this one's going to be a little quicker, all right? Don't feel neglected. I, I just, I have three daughters and my wife, and I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this one. So I'm just going to stick with scripture. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, and then we're going to quickly move on. You ready? Here it is. I'm going I'm to read you a passage of scripture. Um, <laughs> Here we go. Ephesians 5, verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so your example is the church and the way we as a church respond to Jesus. So also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And then remember, I read Psalms, chapter 2, verse 4, where she said, his banner over me is love. There is a proper creation order to the role of men and women. And so... Your challenge, women, is to woman up, and where I challenge men to learn to love, your challenge is to learn to respect. And I'm gonna give you two words that help you go with that, all right? What does it mean to learn to respect? Be respectable and be respectful. This idea is submitting first to God. Women, you learn to respect when you submit to God. What does it mean to submit to God? To recognize that God is in full authority over you. And God has a way for you to live that does not match the culture you live in. 
Submitting to God means you submit to a godly image of who you are. Let me be very clear with you. That means you are called to be respectable. Not, dis, not focusing on your body image or what you look like in the mirror, but focusing on your beauty as the attributes from within. The author of Song of Songs is focusing on her internal attributes, her purity, her character, her devotion, her love, her honor. Are you someone who is becoming respectable because you expect others to treasure you because you know your value in God? You see your self-image as a reflection of God's image, the way God sees your worth. You're not trying to find your self-worth in what men say about you, in, in, in what you see on social media, how many likes you get or how many people comment on a picture you post of yourself. Enough with that. You strive to come under the authority of God and discover your God image, that what God values in you is first and foremost that he created you to be a treasure and to be treasured. Do you value what God values in you? Modesty and the inner beauty of self-respect and your intelligence and your character. Now, as you grow in your godly image, then you also learn to submit to biblical authority, which means this is saying, when I understand who God has designed me to be, then for women, it's coming under godly authority. I already spoke to men. Now, women, don't, don't play this game of, well, when he starts acting like a godly man, I'll start acting like a godly woman. No, that's not what, that's rebellion. That's not honoring to God, right? Because coming out from biblical authority means I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to make my own decisions, but coming under biblical authority means I'm going to honor God's way based on the creation order of submitting to God and submitting to biblical authority. That means if there is a godly, there, that means if there is a man in your life, you have a responsibility to come under his leadership, to support him, to honor him, to respect him. Some of you, you could transform your marriages by simply respecting your husband. Stop tearing him down to your mother. Stop posting dumb comments about him on Facebook and social media. You deal with issues in private and you make sure that when he overhears you talking about him, he only overhears you building him up. Some of you, you are so negatively tearing down your spouse that you're speaking destruction into your marriage and your home. You start speaking life over your spouse and you might be shocked at how heroic he'll become. Women, you come under godly biblical authority. And then finally for women, you get a woman up by nurturing. You are designed to do the work of the ministry, to nurture those around you, to care for with compassion and love those that God has put within your, your sphere of influence, to show mercy, to express affection, to speak life over, to pray over, to build up those that God has put within your sphere of influence. That's not just your spouse or your children or your immediate family, but that could be your neighbors and your coworkers. That could be others within the, within the community of faith that God has called you to nurture. You have the ability to transform people's lives by simply loving them and caring for them. Now, I challenged you. And hopefully I made every one of you uncomfortable. That was my goal. I made myself uncomfortable. Remember, I said that this whole identity thing doesn't work outside of first discovering your identity in Christ. So let's start there. Before you go out and you try to do anything else, are you 
new in Christ? Do you know who you are in Jesus? Are you, have, do you have a complete wholeness in your identity because of your faith in Jesus? If not, let's get that right first. But then what do, what do you need God to, what is God speaking to your heart about who you need to be to man up or to woman up? Let's first just pause. Let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us right now. What is that one thing that God is speaking to you? That one commitment you need to make, that one step you need to take. Would you pause right now and just let God speak to you? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.